0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 79 of Unmasked. I am your host, Neil Getzlow. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I appreciate all my faithful listeners that are here each and every week. And if you are a new listener to this podcast, I encourage you to check out some of the older episodes in your podcast feed and and get caught up to some of the very cool interviews that we've had over here over the past, gosh, almost two years now, It's just kind of crazy that we've been doing this podcast. Uh, you can also learn more about me and my journey over at neilgetslow.com. So be sure to check that out. And uh, before we jump into th- today's episode, I have to get uh, give a shout out to the Run to Stop It organization. That's a, a group that uh, the Rock of KC, my church, has uh, stood up uh, almost, I think almost a decade now to raise money for organizations that are in the battle against sex trafficking and uh, this year's goal was to raise four hundred thousand dollars. The race just took place last Saturday, October 21st. Unfortunately, Amy and I could not be there to support it, but uh, the fundraiser does go through the end of oct- October so there is still time to ho- to help and you know run to stop it. I'm just so blessed uh, that, to be able to support that organization. Uh, it, this year the funds are going to Russ Tuttle and the stop trafficking project. Uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to find Russ's episode on here and listen to him. He's got an amazing story and does some incredible work in warning parents and kids about the dangers of of online predators and pornography. Uh, money also goes to Relentless Pursuit Outreach and Recovery, a, a group in Kansas City that's helping women escape the horrors of trafficking. So, uh, as you may know, um, using the uh, for every download and listen of unmasked episodes in the month of October. So it'll be episode 76, 77, 78, and this one 79. A- every listen, $1 is going to run to stop it. We heard earlier in the month from Fred Stoker on Every Man's Battle with Pornography. Uh, Gene McConnell was so vulnerable in sharing his story on creating the demand. Uh, we had Ruth Josepian on last week. It, you know, we don't often talk about. The impact that pornography has on women but she was she was incredibly open and honest about what pornography did in her life and uh, the issues that she suffered from that and then this week well, we're going to close out looking at the evils of human trafficking and specifically in Europe uh, today i'm really excited to share my interview with filmmaker Allison Wilson Allison is director of the documentary film Exit the movie uncovers the journey of three women looking for a way out of poverty and ending up being victims of trafficking. The movie also touches on what it means to be trafficked, the damage that it causes, and the extreme difficulties faced by women who try to get out for good. It is not easy, as we talk about, especially when when poverty is being used as coercion. Uh, Alice and I have an extremely extremely honest conversation about human trafficking that's taking place in, in Spain and all over Europe as the movie features. And, and we get into the demand side of the equation as well. And I coming out of this interview, I was fired up. I still am fired up on the conversations that need to happen to slow down the demand. And uh, those conversations will continue. And I thank Allison for coming on this week. And I encourage you to check out uh, the movie Exit, once you get through this interview, you can find it on Amazon Prime these days. So let's jump into it. Episode 79 of Unmasked, Unmasking the Journey of Allison Wilson and Exit. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the Unmasked podcast. I truly appreciate it. I know we've been trying to coordinate times and schedules for a while, so glad we could finally make it work.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah. So yeah, before we get started, can you just take a little, uh, just a minute to just introduce yourself to everybody?
1: Okay, I'm Alison Jane Wilson. I'm a filmmaker living in Spain. Um, I'm from Australia originally. I have a communications background and I crossed over to documentary. Um, my last film, Exit, uh, premiered at the San Diego International Film Festival. It's addressing the harms of human trafficking and the commercial um the commercial sex trade. So I'm quite active in that space. um, And I work with survivor led groups around the world.
0: Yeah. And so obviously that's why I had you on and wanted to talk to you was about the movie exit. I just had a chance to, to watch it recently and uh, just another, another great example of, of showcasing the, you know the conditions that that some of these women and men, there are men that are trafficked as well, but some of some of the women out there and, and what they have to deal with, you know what what you know what struck me was just how hard it is for for people to get out once you once you get in. and that's what I've learned in my experience it's 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 almost impossible to get out, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we talk about the trifecta. In in trafficking, you know, when they have debt, addiction, and family, and we see in exit a, a lot of the women, they were recruited into prostitution because they came from vulnerable positions, and they're trying to help out their family. And then they quickly, you know, after they're caught, um, you know, in up in, in debt to the to the networks, then comes addiction, you know. And it can take them decades to get out. And by the time they can actually get out, they're just very broken women. And it's often not just one victim. You know, you have the children as well. So there are sure. multiple victims and multiple forms of violence as well. Like there's a lot of domestic violence. There was a huge crossover I found when I when I made Exit as well.
0: So, so what was your motivation for making the movie? You know, it's a... Uh... You know, it's a subject that it's getting a lot of attention now, based on some other other movies that are out there that have gotten you know a lot of uh, national exposure and international yeah. exposure. But you know, for you, what was your motivation to to put this on film?
1: Okay, I get asked this question <laughs> so much. Um, <laughs> I can I can give you the long answer, okay? Because yeah, we got time current is much better. Okay, so coming from Australia originally, you know, it's this really neoliberal culture. We have a huge red light um, area, Kings Cross, and it's quite common when you're young to um, you know, to go out to the clubs. And right next door, there'll be like, like literally a sex club, you know. Um, so it's not like I hadn't seen prostitution around me. But when I moved to Spain, um, I had actually also travelled in Spain and I had similar insights, but when I moved to Spain, nothing could prepare me, sorry, my alarm, nothing could prepare me for the levels of prostitution that I saw here. Um, just how socially accepted it is for the boys and the men. Um, and what's really tragic is 90% are migrants, Spanish women haven't been seen haven't been seen in uh, brothels for close to thirty years. okay? So you know you have a lot of Eastern women, obviously with um, you know the the shared language from Latin America to Spain. There's a lot of Latin American women as well, but I mean, they're just from everywhere. Um, and we moved to this town called Fells, which looks like this sort of family orientated, Beachside little town and it was actually the site of the two largest macro brothels in Spain and Riviera and Saratoga and one was closed down because of police corruption. 20 national police went to jail and then I started uh, speaking with the criminologists and looking into it more deeply and then I just saw that there was this massive network and this whole town was thriving on like the sex tourism and the sex industry, and um, I'll just finish off with one story on this to just show you how it had crept into every aspect of this town, which is also it's a very popular town. It's like where all the Barcelona FC players live and things like that. I was looking for. Um, like a daycare center for my daughter who was three at that time, just somewhere where she could play. And um and I was speaking to the woman who ran the place and I said, Oh yeah, like there was this massive brothel here, right? I heard that there were 15 year old Romanian girls found there that, that they were trafficking them. Just like, oh yeah, yeah, that was so terrible, so terrible. And I expected some empathy to come out But she said, yeah, it was so terrible for us because we used to own a dry cleaners and all the girls used to bring their clothes and it's like, look, now we don't have that. Now we have to do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously, I didn't leave my child there, but it was like doctors were going there every month and, you know, doing the HIV test, the town planners, the taxi drivers, the bouncers. There were so many people making money from from this big brothel, and then you see there are these towns all over Spain. There's one called La Chonquera, which is on the border between um, Spain and France, and it is like just this big, big brothel. There's 3,000 people living in the town and 1,500 are employed by this uh, big macro brothel called the Paradise. And when you read the reviews, the men... It's like they're reviewing going somewhere to eat. They say, "Oh, I got this and this and this." I'm not going to be vulgar yeah. for this price. <laughs> it's, it's just incredible. Yeah. And then we have all the obvious mafia networks, which um, mainly operate the highway and roadside prostitution. We also have something in Spain called pisos, which are like the clandestine apartment blocks, which are everywhere. Then we have these big cabaret clubs. Then we have, in Barcelona now, we have the ethical brothels <laughs> and so ethical pornography. Is it, it,
0: it, is it legal? Crazy. Is it legal in Spain?
1: You know what? It's a grey zone. And I can tell you why. There's this law called the Terceria Locativa, and Paula Fraga um, explains it very well. She's a lawyer in um, in my film Exit. What happens is these club operators they operate as landlords. They say, I'm just giving this poor woman a room and then what they do is they take, you know, half or more of her income. She has to pay for the room, for the towels, for this, for that. They get the commission from the drinks and renting the room. But, I mean, there's huge coercive factors behind all of these clubs. But, yeah, they they pose as businessmen or landlords and that's this uh, gray law that we're trying to change.
0: Yeah, and that's, I think that's the thing that when I think about, you know, there's a lot of discussion, obviously in in Europe primarily right now, but coming to Canada and the U.S. about legalizing legalizing prostitution um, for all parties, no mm-hmm. no repercussions whatsoever. And I just keep thinking, and that so what you talk about is like. That's to me. That only is going to ramp up trafficking because you need exactly. to fulfill you need to fulfill the demand, and there is so much money involved. Mm-hmm. Like I just see, I have a hard time believing that is safe for the women that are involved. Like I think some mm-hmm. of the the people that are advocating for for the um, legalization of it believe.
1: Yeah, I mean, the people who are the managers, the the middlemen, and the middle women, they do quite well, right? And yeah. the people obviously above them. But I don't know anyone who has anything to show from being in prostitution if they've went into it voluntarily or whatever. I mean, lots. I know trafficking survivors, women who have went into prostitution who've said, oh, look, I'm only going to do it for a year or two. And then again, they get stuck in the debt spiral and addiction. And also the shame, you know, not offered support on how to rebuild their lives. And the shame's always on the women. It's not often on the men, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. And that's, you know, and, and, um, and I, I think that needs to change, right? And that's, you know, one of the things that I wanted to, to talk to you about is, is the demand side. So and yeah. I, and I think, I think, I'm, and I'm going to get this stat wrong probably, but I f- think from in the exit movie, was it something like 30% of men in Spain have purchased sex? Is that 38? Yeah, like 38. 38, 38, 38. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. That's a huge number. Like what? What? I guess number. What number one? What do you think? In your opinion, what do you think is driving that demand?
1: Well, I mean, you see the young ones entering um, brothels very young. Um, it's socially acceptable. It's something very cultural. Um, I honestly, I have seen. All sorts of men going into even these clandestine brothels. I remember one day watching from the highway and the amount of cars that would slow down with the baby seat with the booster in the back. Um, I also think it's a young democracy as well, um, where a lot of civil liberties were squashed by Franco. Mm. So there's this real thing in Spain now for it's you know to to live the civil liberties. To the max, um, very patriarchal culture. Um, migrant women are at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Um, Something you know, they're they're offering like a charity service. I mean, we see that in anywhere else. I know Australian guys who would go to Thailand and say, "Oh, but you know, it kept the whole family going for a month." Yeah. There's lots of excuses that they tell themselves. There was actually a study by a university here in Spain, um, the University de Camillas, and they found that 80% of Spanish men had an awareness of human trafficking. But when they explored their motivations and beliefs, you know, they were telling themselves that the the women had entered uh, to buy luxuries and to live some sort of elevated lifestyle, which they definitely don't have. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: that's that's yeah. interesting that 80 the 80% awareness of human trafficking cuz I think yeah. and I'm just speak on my own personal experience like I you when you think of human trafficking at least from an American perspective right it is it is the sound of freedom movie it is the internationals yeah. the kids in cages type of trafficking but I think that's not you know that that's not really what I mean to me it's more, less, more like exploitation um, mm-hmm. than trafficked in some ways, at least in the US, where you know women are out doing this, but they're you know they're they're free to free to move and free to to go home at every evening, but they're still being, you know trafficked slash exploited. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that even 80% awareness of of the issue and yet men still um, are being driven to to go visit.
1: Yeah, and I mean it, it's something cultural. Um, definitely and now um, I'm screening exit a lot in high schools I'm working oh, that's really good. Hard with, with the local equality departments because that's what it, it's about, it's about addressing the power imbalance you know and it's really great screening to the youth because they have so many questions and they talk yeah. about it so much afterwards and like we have very high unemployment here right and a really um, large porn industry so what happens is you know you've got half of the country living on a thousand euro a month and then you've got like a porn producer offering you know a 300 euro cachet for a few hours on set which of course never amounts to that but you know and then porn's dressed up as something a bit more glamorous and not prostitution. And so, you know, we have a lot of the youth going into OnlyFans now. I know you have that in the US as well.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Like, I know last time I was in the US, so many people were talking about it. But, you know, I I don't think you have, like, the high unemployment like we have. You know, you have a lot of the youth. They really think that they don't have too many places to go, you know. And then the... um, and then the the young men, you know, with this real machismo culture, um, it's even the, the head of the national police said here, it's become a form of leisure. It's become a form of entertainment for the young boys, not just to go to a strip club, but to go to a brothel, you know? Mm. Um, and it's migrant women, okay? Um it's they don't see the faces of their mothers or their sisters or whoever else.
0: Well, they don't. They don't. I mean, I think that's the thing, right? They don't. They don't see a human being, yeah, right? yeah. And yeah, that, and, that, and that's yeah, and that's part of the. I mean, that's part of the problem, right? We, and it starts with pornography, and so I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was curious how big porn pornography was. I mean, I know it's an epidemic everywhere, but yeah. uh, you know, obviously that is that is driving. Particularly men's behaviors when it comes to how they view women, how they treat women, how they look at women, especially then, like you said, you you, you know the migrant person who doesn't assimilate into the culture has nowhere else to go, and yeah. it's just you know it is just it's a it's just a, you know that's just how it how it develops and how how people get trapped into it. Uh, but I'm I'm also that's very that's good news to hear that you're sharing it in high schools because I do think because of. The internet and and how easy you know and accessible pornography is. I think that is the generation that's getting just desensitized at, at such an incredibly early age. And then and now we're exploiting each other when they yeah. trade sexually explicit material between themselves and that material. Who knows where that those pictures go once once you send them, you never know where those things go.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's scary. I mean, I I have a preteen raising her in this culture <laughs> oh, I don't yeah. think so. i'm pretty much a helicopter mom but <laughs> you have
0: to be <laughs> you have yeah. to be and and you know and like you mentioned only fans to me that's like a version of, of prostitution light if you yeah. will because it's just again it, it all goes to and and um Uh, I don't, I don't know if you know, Andrea Hines. Um, Yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah, And and Andrea, I had a chance to talk to Andrea a couple of times and thing Mm -hmm. I always remember her telling me was that for her, you know, the, the, the poverty and the, the coercion that was the poverty was her pimp. Yeah. Right. Because she hadn't, there's no way to get out of that control when, when you have no money and you have no way of making a living and you you know, there's, there's, you, you see, there's, there's no way out. So did you did you learn anything surprising as you were making this film about trafficking?
1: Yeah, look, what I did find surprising was that um so many women were re-trafficked. They were victimized, they were re-victimized again. Um mm. there's some shocking statistics. I think something like 50% of some of the Nigerian girls that end up in the migrant Reception centers, they have a chance to be re trafficked. And as you see in Exit, Hope, when she left Nigeria, she changed multiple hands and they're all profiting from her along the way and absolutely brutalizing her along the way. And I mean, she represents tens of thousands of women and, and their children. So by the time they get to Spain, and I'm talking about Barcelona specifically, with her, prostitution doesn't seem so bad. You know, yeah, um, right. I mean, she's massively in debt to the network. Um, she can't leave the network till she pays off this ridiculous amount of money. How else is she going to pay off this ridiculous amount of money as like an illegal migrant in a new country, other than prostitute herself? You know. Yeah. Um, and what's really shocking, like the Nigerian network, has a completely different mindset to a lot of the other networks. And I think there are very few people that can work with them correctly because they are so different. Uh, there's something that we call their invisible cord, which I didn't go too deeply in an exit. Like they on the street with maybe the, the pimp, however many hundred meters of way, away, people will think, oh, you know, why don't they leave? Why don't they do this to some of the policemen who are around? But um, this invisible cord is like voodoo and it sounds very, very strange, but in this particular part of Benin, they believe, you know, this this voodoo curse more than anyone would believe like the word of God or, or whatever, like, They believe something will happen to their family, something will happen to them if they don't comply. So they have this on top of the huge amount of debt that they have. They've been raped, tortured, beaten, starved um, en route to to Spain via Libya or Morocco. I mean, most go to Italy. They use Italy or Spain as a trampoline to get into other parts of Europe and then, you Mm. know, they'll go to other parts of Europe where there isn't their equality model, where there's a higher purchasing power by by the the Johns, you know. Uh, Spain, Spain, also another thing why prostitution is so massive here, it's known to be like a haven for low-cost prostitution. Wow. It's super low-cost. And, you know, the Johns will flock in from anywhere, you know. Um, Also, the variety that they have as well. Um, and it's impunity free, you know, they can
0: do what they like. Sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's, there's no, there's no, I don't, there's no regulations, right. Yeah. There's no, so yeah, it's just men can get in there and, and, and treat, treat these women horribly. Like, and I got to like, and so, like, so, so for the women that are in the exit movie, they were specifically like, they were specifically trafficked, sent to Europe to be in the sex industry. Right? Yeah.
1: Well, they had very, very different stories and, and complex stories. Without giving too many spoilers, because yeah. I want yeah. everyone to watch it, but I know yeah. there's to unpack. Like, hope starts off as a, uh, as a smuggling case, right? Which is... Something discussed so much in the um, how to address this in the human trafficking community. And also, you look at some of these women, there's not like you're talking about the stereotypical films that you have in the US as well. I mean, there's no big tough guys with their band, with their gang tattoos here, or their white vans or whatever. Right. Oak was lied to by someone in her village, by a family member, you know, someone she trusted. So that makes it very hard to trust us. If you're lied to by someone very close to you, why, why are you going to speak to someone in Europe about what you're going through? So that's that's another reason why it's very hard to work with them because they really keep their mouths shut, you know, and I hope yeah. um, you see she's very heavily silhouetted, but um, she had a lot to say. She really didn't want people to go through what she had went through. Then... She, she's turned into a trafficking victim, she was enslaved, she was chained, all of those pictures that you see actually happen to hope and if you look at some of the pictures in, in Libya, what they live through is it's just hell. Um, on that note, I also spoke to some Nigerian men who had been through similar situations in Morocco on their way to Spain but they're, they're much less vocal, there's so much stigma Um, they often don't speak up about their experiences. So like you said before, of course, boys too. Um, Mm. And, yeah, and a lot of them, obviously, they they die along the way. Um, Vanessa, um, classic case that we see in Spain for decades. I read about a case like hers every day in the newspaper when they say they've broken up a trafficking network. offered a a job in Spain, um, recruited, targeted by, you know, a recruiter in Brazil. They knew her family had a lot of problems. They knew she was the sole provider. You know, come to Spain, it will be easy. And then, you know, she arrives, the passport sees straight away. Oh, what do you think? Do you think um, I'm just going to bring you here and you don't owe me any money? Get to work, you know, and then literally, you know, locked up in one of these clubs, twenty four seven, has to do whatever service, has to work all night, um, yeah. and then also as Alika, uh Kinnan explains, they keep on adding and adding on extra costs. And I mean, these are all set by the network. You know, they'll start paying for medications for family members. They'll act like they're your family. Um, you know, if a client's dis the client's dissatisfied, you have to return money. If you're late, you have to return money. They're constantly penalised and, you know, broken down. And then they just end up in tens and tens of thousands of dollars of debt. And a lot of these women, they end up living in the club because they've got nowhere else to go. Um, And then there's also the children that are born within this situation, many as a result of rape. But also these children, they belong to the network. You know, I know some women, they see their child maybe once a week. The pimp, the pimp slash trafficker brings the child to see them. They're not going to go anywhere if they've got a child somewhere. Sure. You know, Um, then we see a uh, a lot of women going into prostitution because there's poverty. They say, I'll do it for a year or two. I don't want my little brother to go through this i I want my brother to have an education i want my little sister to have this you know they think they'll go in for a year or two and like 10 years later they're still there and they're very broken you know and
0: and so i don't know if you can i don't know if you can answer this question but i'm I'm Mm -hmm. curious you know there's a lot of there's a lot of um misplaced people coming out of ukraine uh you know with the war is that do you see that i mean you you, so you hear stories out there about of ukrainian women who are being mm-hmm. trafficked is that but you know in today's world right you never know what you know what's what's true and what's you know someone's using to push an agenda so i'm curious if you um since you're a little bit closer to the to the situation mm-hmm. there if that is something that is is, is truly happening
1: yeah, well, I keep in contact with a lot of Ukrainian activists as well, and you obviously just have to notice um, the changes in the the VIP escort pages mm. to see that there's an influx of of these women available. And they're marketed as something new and something more expensive. Wow. Um, my Ukrainian colleagues have been very concerned about this as well, and I have heard of cases I can also say something specifically that I have seen with my own two eyes. Um, with the Syrian crisis, there are a lot of Syrian um, women, very young women. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can all be 18, right? Sure. Um, in these ethical brothels in, in Barcelona. So, like, when there's a conflict, you can see this represented in, you know, the online pages as well. Wow. Yeah. Venez- Venezuela. Um, as well, now we have a lot of women again coming from Colombia um, as well. I mean, they're, they're always marketed as something very, very different. Like there's, there's a market for everything. I'm married to an Argentinian, so I'm quite familiar with the, Argent, the Argentinian community here. Um, and Argentina and Venezuela, they, they market these girls as VIP because you know mm. some of them have had a lot of surgery and that's something else that they add on to these girls for debt you know as soon as they get here okay well you're getting a breast enhancement you're getting some other injections here you're getting this and that uh, don't worry I know a doctor don't worry we'll pay your debt you can pay us back so they're automatically you know tens of thousands of dollars in debt yeah um,
0: I mean that's that right? That's like putting them in chains, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we're, I mean, even as right, even as free people that we are, when we have, when we have too much debt, we are yeah, chained. you get to, desperate,
1: what, don't you? You get yes. absolutely desperate. Anyone can understand it, and once you have a family, yeah. um, and you know, as a woman, as women, like if you, it's how we're raised. Oh, I'm out, I'm out of money. What have I got to sell, you know? And now, you know, how they're marketing this to, to young girls as something, something normal. I know when I was in Australia, I had um, a lot of uni, uni friends, like, oh, I'm going to be uh, an escort, don't worry, you know. Right. They sell themselves that they're going to be this VIP escort that they don't have to do anything unless they don't want to. And they end up so messed up, you know. And people just make so much money from them.
0: And that's I think that you know. And just listening to to you talk, and that's the frustrating thing is that yeah, the, the, the the women or the people that beat on traffic don't have another option, and mm-hmm. so they're just you know. And so and the men don't care.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And and so how do you like, in your opinion, how how do we how do we break through that? Like what and and like I don't know I don't know the right answer i you know for me personally I think it's 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 the Nordic model where you you protect the victims of this they're not they're not getting in trouble from a legal perspective but and it's going after the buyers I don't know how else to deter men from purchasing vulnerable women
1: yeah well for a start I think more men like yourself need to speak up so thanks for that because yeah. you have <laughs> This first hand knowledge, right?
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and it's men who are often the first in line to possibly identify a victim of trafficking, right? And yeah. we do know that it does happen sometimes. I have heard of cases of that in Barcelona. For example, I, I know there were a bunch of German guys here for a box party, they were taken to one of these clandestine um, locations, they reported to the police straight away and they ended up saving a whole lot of girls. Okay. Um, So that does happen sometimes, you know. Um, You do, I have spoken to men. They've went to some, even commercial places in Barcelona. I think there's a place called the Dollhouse or something. I'm going to make myself some more friends. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, guys criticise what they see there and it's sort of this cabaret spectacle you know that they have heard the girls spoken to in a particular way they've seen them in like poor conditions and they're not girls and women in in particular brothels you know um yeah and i think too of course you know the driving along the highway you see these women there they're obviously not in good shape, are they? Like any thinking person can realise that. I mean, like I see in in one of my areas around here, because I also cycle a lot and keep my eye on what's going on, you know, I see the same pimp watching some women on this section of the highway every day, and he just changes his car every day, you know? Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. The Nordic model, I know it's very criticised, um, but there was something like thirty years of research before it was implemented. It's reduced trafficking by fifty percent. You know, um, I think implemented correctly, it's absolutely it's absolutely the right thing. Every survivor I know tells me it's a bundle of rights that they didn't have. And that they would like to have, yeah. Um, but you know, I see how it is in here, like how we have to fight tooth and nail for quality exit programs for women. The things we have too many victims. We have to stop creating all of these people that need these services. There's one particular center I work with. I had 400 women present in one year, and they had places for 30. You know.
0: And it's just like, and that's how it is in the U S right. There's not enough. There's not enough. There's so much, so many women who, who need help and who need that place to exit and they cannot, there isn't, there isn't an option.
1: Yeah. And they need serious psychological support. Like they haven't been in the regular workforce for such a long time. I mean, there's so much, you know, um, I, I know of people who have went through reinsertion programs in Sweden, for example, and they're doing really well. But the Nordic model, uh, quality model, lack of universal language on this law, it originated in Sweden. You know, They have a lot of experience um, implementing this program. Um, in Spain, unfortunately, as much as I want it, and in theory, I really think it's the only thing that really works up against organized crime you're up against people that are making billions of dollars you're up against a really complicit uh society so unless you have these societal changes what's going to support this law you know yeah. and we have a, a very strong feminist network here. Um, we have a lot of people working extremely hard all the time but you know when you're up against all of this yeah um, yeah. Yeah, I I 100 support this law, but I'm not saying it's not without its difficulties. And you know, we've got France nearby. Okay, we see um, we see it working in France, but what happens? We don't have it in Spain, so the Johns just cross the border and they go to La Chancera straight away. They come into Barcelona. They go wherever. It's super cheap here, impunity free, and that's why there's been this push to have it throughout Europe. Um, you know, and like I was mentioning before, a lot of the networks when they bring in new migrants, they go straight to Italy. They trampoline over to Spain to our super lax laws, and you know they can move about.
0: So, I, and so I mentioned it earlier. There's a lot of a, a lot of focus in the U.S. now on, well, at least more focus on trafficking. And there's a large, probably a large segment of people now who who saw the movie Sound of Freedom and and want to get involved. Mm-hmm um forgetting so the movie for a second like as as you talk to people like what what do you, what what advice do you have for for people who who want to get involved in, in trying to do something is there any is there anything just the you know anything we can do is as, as the average citizen to to try yeah. to try to slow this yeah. down
1: well i i haven't seen that film yet um <laughs> Look, I really like in the US, you've got the National Centre on Sexual Exploitation there. Yeah. I think policy change, um, you have to start with supporting policy changes in your area to start with because <laughs> you yeah. can often change it at a micro level before a macro level. I think in Maine, was it recently, they introduced mm-hmm. a trial of the Nordic model. There's also another organisation, More to Life, Um headed by Dr. Brooke Bellow. She's a survivor of human trafficking. Um, She also works with a lot of men as well. Mm. Um, You know, I think we're we're hearing from a lot of survivors, okay? Um, I like to see these panels after screenings, particularly of Exit, because we often, like I'm there as a filmmaker if anyone's got any questions, I always invite an educator. I always invite a a teacher as well, you know, because they're gonna be able to get their students engaged. Sometimes a survivor joins me, um, but there's a real absence of men speaking up in Spain. yeah <laughs> I wonder why sure I, right. I don't have anyone offering to join me on panels neil
0: <laughs> I, hey hey I, maybe i'll have to get you know make sure my passport's in order and come over and, and talk with you
1: yeah and I, I just think if you can get men to look at it from a human rights perspective first yeah they can start to unpack it because when you start talking to men, right, and then they start realising the impacts, they'll say, oh, I was young or I only went once or I know what situation those women are in now, you know, they they have to get through their shame as well. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think we need to have so many conversations about this, you know, and it's something yeah. I, I wanted to talk to you about as well, um, in, in Exit, when Vanessa is saying, you know, every type of sex buyer, we have a particular name for them in, in Spain, putero. Um, <laughs> I know you have what, John and the English-speaking Yeah, But yeah. she said, you know, every type of guy comes, but she said that there's the ones that come with problems. They go there to vent. Um so, I, I wanted to know your interpretation of that as yeah. well. Some men exposed to pornography very young, drug and alcohol problems, they go to lose their minds, you know.
0: There are, uh, and so again, Andrea kind of explained this stratosphere of, of buyers to me, which I think totally makes sense. You've got this top tier of guys, they have all the money in the world, it doesn't matter, right? They don't care. And you have this like bottom tier, just kind of like young kids who, don't know any better. And they're just experimenting and you need, you just, you can get them, weed them out pretty quick. But it's just like this middle group of like 60, 60 to 70% of buyers who are broken, right? Yeah. These men, these men were exposed to pornography at a young age. It skewed their brains. And this, and this is like this is exactly what happened to me. You know, my brain was rewired of how I looked at women, how I treated women. It started at the age of 10 for me and just and then you you look at the culture you know that is out there today where it just you know sex is thrown in your face at every turn um and then we have this there is the shame factor right so you shove all this down because you don't want anybody to know what you're doing right no man is going around and bragging about how many brothels he's visited or how many you know women that he has seen like i i didn't tell anybody until I finally exposed myself to, to my wife and to the world. Like I hadn't told anybody in 40 years. So you create this cocoon of loneliness basically. Right. And this is, you know, and men are already, you know, we already are typically not the best communicators at times. We tend to keep things close. Uh, But then you just, you add in the shame of everything. And, you know, I had a chance to Sit in on a a sting operation in the U.S. last November, and uh, had a chance to talk to these men. Fifteen guys were were brought in that night from across the entire spectrum of you know every walk of life you can imagine, which is like, of course, right, because that's where that's who the buyers are. It's every every man, and um, but they they all said they were lonely. I, I just. You know i just wanted to be with somebody and it's it's um but again i think it's a some it's a self-created loneliness and there's there's just something something broken and and that's why i try to to raise awareness of it not not for the fact that we don't deserve any sympathy you know we're still responsible for our actions even if we are broken we still know what we're doing is wrong deep down we know it um but just, you know, just as we want to see survivors and victims and see them as humans, you know, I, I want people to see buyers as humans too and to know that um and and men can be redeemed, which I think is the encouraging part. Like it it's not we don't have to. I, I know I I advocate for prosecution and in prosecuting the buyers and in putting them making the, the laws against them tougher. Um not as a punitive punishment. But, it, but hey, look, you got to take accountability and there there needs to be determined because right now you can get popped for prostitution in the U.S. It's a traffic ticket, basically, right? There's nothing going to happen to you. Then that actually, and the likelihood is the person that you're meeting with, she's likely the one that's going to end up in jail. Like yeah. that's the messed up part.
1: Yeah, that's what's good about the Nordic model. The prostituted person isn't penalized. yeah. But- you know, I, I wonder if these like letters home have any effect. Um, you know, we know men hide their credit card bills <laughs> if they, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, men can be very crafty when it comes yeah. to keeping that stuff, you know, you have a set, you know, I never did, but I, you yeah, have men, I know men have separate phones that they use for what they call the hobby. Right. And, and, um, right. so they, they have to basically have a separate life. And, um, so it's, uh, that's why I, I do think it's uh, when we talk about trafficking, I do think you have to have a conversation about demand and the role pornography plays in it. Right. Like that's, that that's, that's where it starts.
1: Yeah. It's a stepping stone, isn't it? Yeah. Like in, in Spain, they have a lot of these, you know, spend a night with a, a porn star. Oh yeah. In locations like Mallorca and areas like that. Like that's for A night. It with, Someone to prostitute themselves. Yeah. Just sold as something more glamorous and with a higher ticket value as well. You know, but it's like these men thinking that in these, especially young boys, thinking they get the prize, you know, like, and, it, you know, money, okay, I can buy another human. You're never buying consent, you know. That's I,
0: right. That's, happened? yes. Yeah. I think that's a great way to look at it too, right? You're paying for consent, which means you don't really have consent at all necessarily. It's just, it just happens to be a financial transaction, but that's what I hope. And that's again, by, by talking about it, I hope to raise awareness for men that says these women, 99.9% of the women that are doing this don't want to be there.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: They don't. And it's either, they're either forced to by another person or they're forced to because of their debt and their poverty. And that's, um, yeah, that's uh, not a good place to be.
1: And something else I hear frequently from, you know, the pro-sex work lobby is that we need this from, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Sure. Uh, we need to have uh, prostitutes because um, otherwise men would be out there raping other women. And You know, I've heard them say, mm-hmm. well, it's good that they come here because, you know, we get those types here. It's like, how <laughs> well, is that okay? You know, like paying to rape someone
0: or we need them otherwise they're going to be out right I, that's yeah
1: that's so much
0: <laughs> that's that's crazy um I like I know and obviously my my has changed since you know I got out of what I was doing and I and I just think like there is we have we have like treated sex is such a should be such a Intimate part of of a marriage, and we treat it now like it's just some commodity, Absolutely. right? And that's that to me. That's that's the problem. Like, no men men, you, men men can control their urges, whether they want to admit that or. If you can't control your urges, then you you need some other sort of therapy. Um, yeah. you need to focus on other things in your life yeah. other than than sex, right? Like that. That's and that's what I had to do. I got rid of all that stuff that was in my brain. It's taken mm-hmm. some time, but my, those wires do remap and it, and it does, it creates a, a sort of a, a new brain flow and, and how I think of things. And um, yeah, that's just uh, <laughs> that, I mean, we're not barbarians as yeah. and I know, you know, right. Like, yeah, we can, we can, there are urges there, but you can control them. And, um, and again, I, I personally think it's, 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 it's the pornography that's poisoning um, men in today's culture. Like I think I do believe if you were to eliminate pornography, you would eliminate a lot of the demand for for these women.
1: Yeah, you know? and it's something as well. Um, during COVID, as well, I was um, going in and and filming during COVID in some of the um, the reinsertion centers. And the level of desperation just obviously increased so dramatically. But during that time, uh, the men were demanding, like, riskier services. Oh, you know, yeah. Cutting their their price point down. You know, it was, women were terrified because they couldn't survive. They didn't have any money. And they were these, like, porn-filled requests, you know,
0: well yeah, that that's the thing, right? Men are seeing these so you're seeing these movies and thinking that's reality.
1: I'm always seeing this, it's awful. Yeah. Thinking
0: thinking that that's what women like and it couldn't be farther from the truth, you know, and that's why there's a organization here, um, Stop Trafficking Project that goes to schools and talks about this because right. what you're seeing is kids today are their sexual encounters as teenagers are becoming more and more violent. Because that's the that's what they're seeing in the pornography that they're watching. It's terrible. It's, it is.
1: That's not how we want to address sexual education with our kids. No,
0: no, 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 and that, yeah, <laughs> and I think that's you know to me that's where it starts, right? If we say where do we how do how do people plug in, start with your kids, yeah. right, and and help them understand how to be safe online to avoid that, and I think that. It's, it may so- seem small, but that's probably going to be the place that society is going to have to start is with yeah. the family.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if they're already on that path too, we have a chance to change them. Yeah,
0: that's right.
1: We show them what's at the end of that road. Right.
0: Yeah. So, so Alison, what's, what's the next project for you? Do you have anything the in the project, pipeline?
1: Uh, yeah, I just finished cutting, a, another film called the girl from Salonika and it's, um, Partially funded by claims, the Conference on Material Claims Against Germany. It's oh. a, a Holocaust genre documentary. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's about a, a young a young teen called Mazeltov. Her oh. nickname is. She was deported to to Auschwitz, and she was a victim of Nazi sterilization um, wow. experiments. She's one of the few survivors, and I've been working with her family here in Barcelona. Um, The film explores medical ethics because later on in her life, like many trauma survivors, she decided to talk about it. She reclaimed her family name and, um, you know, they started teaching on Holocaust um, medicine and ethics in in Madrid, at a university here. She was working with Yad Vashem and um, she accepted the Prince of Asturias, Asturias Award. She did a huge amount of advocacy after, you know, battling all these types of cancers that she'd had throughout her life from these experiments. So that's my next project, which will be released very, very soon.
0: Thanks again to Allison for, for coming on unmasked this week. It, it, boy, we have been talking about scheduling this interview for several months and we scheduling conflicts kept us from talking all the way up until last week. So I'm glad we finally were able to share Allison's story like I said that conversation that we had about demand I'm just it just has me fired up and I'm hopeful that I can continue to to find ways to work with Allison and others uh, in this fight against human human sex trafficking and just as a reminder you can find the movie Exit in the US here on Amazon Prime so I encourage you to check it out and support Allison's work all right next week hey guess what World Series time, if you can believe it. Uh, and um, so it's also, I think, a good time to have uh, maybe a, a former Major League Baseball player on the show. And so, yeah, we're going to have uh, ex pitcher Brandon Puffer on to unmask his journey from professional ball player to prison to now encouraging men through the power of Christ. And that's coming up next week on Unmasked. So hey, thank you so much for tuning in this week. I truly appreciate it. Remember, every listen of this episode in episodes 76 through 79, $1 going to run to stop it. So be sure to, to uh, listen and share this episode widely if you can. And remember, Jesus did not come to hang out with the saints and the righteous. He was in eating dinner with the sick and the sinners pretty much like you and pretty much like me. and uh, But he wasn't there to celebrate in our sins. He was there to call us out of it. Have a great week, everybody.